0: Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out. My name is Noah. You probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you might know me as Twelve Tone. And today we're going to be talking about Deep Cuts. And we didn't
1: really talk about what we meant by that. I was sort of thinking like the cultural cachet that gets attached to Deep Cuts, yes. the value that like fan groups tend to associate with those. Uh, but just I don't I don't know that this will take us super long in this case, but just, you know, to be ghost notes, do we want to start out by defining what we think a deep cut is? I was about to ask the exact same thing. Yeah, (laughs) we've got a brand, baby. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So so essentially, in my mind, deep cuts generally are the most broad sense songs that weren't released as singles if you want to hone in and narrow in specifically songs that weren't released as singles and don't get a ton of attention, aren't really celebrated as much. The kind of meat of an album that isn't flashy, doesn't make the lists, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't think, I don't think this is quite, needs to be quite as esoteric as most Ghost Notes definitions. No. I mean,
1: I I do think there are some sort of implications uh that the term deep cut has like i think for instance i think that it implies that there are shallow cuts right like it implies that there is that the band is well known enough and that there's there are songs that are well known enough like led zeppelin has deep cuts yes but a band like say the uncluded probably doesn't yeah a lot of people listening to this do not know the band i just named
0: yeah great band by the way
1: yeah it's uh collaboration between Aesop Rock and Kimya Dawson of the Moldy Peaches. Uh, They did one album and then broke up. Did they?
0: I don't think they broke up. I think it was just like it was a one album project, right? (laughs) Or did they break up?
1: They were together. They were doing stuff for a while. They seem to have had some sort of falling out.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Is my
1: understanding. But anyway, the point is that like I wouldn't view anything on Hokey Fright, I believe is the name of the album. I wouldn't view anything on that album as a deep cut Because that would imply That something on there Had enough cultural saturation That I would expect people to know Maybe I would consider The entire album
0: Like an Aesop Rock deep cut Or like a Kimmy Dawson deep cut I mean, also like Aesop Rock is himself Like a living embodiment Of deep cuts
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think so uh, But like, that's that sort of You know, I, I could name like Bands f- that my friends had in college And they don't have deep cuts Yeah, yeah Like they may have released singles At some point They may have put out like in some sense anyway, but, like, they, they don't have songs that, you know, if you're a fan of the band, you probably know most of their songs, and if you're not a fan of the band, you haven't heard of the band. Yeah. Uh, so that's one. And I also think there's an implication that for a deep cut that it's good, right? Yes. Like...
0: Yeah, I think it's generally talked about as uh kind of a deep cut is something that is quality, kind of going along with that underrated yeah. is generally a... Yeah. Uh, a kind of association yeah, with deep part. cuts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that there's there's this gap between how well known the song is and how good it is and how well yeah. known it maybe quote unquote should be. But like you think of like Jackson Brown to go to an artist I'm pretty sure I've never referenced before. <laughs> Who? <laughs> but like, you know, if you look at something like going into Cuba, I don't think any Jackson Brown fan would call that a deep cut, even though most people don't know it, because it's just not that good. Yeah. this is not a particularly good song but like you know something like song for Barcelona that's a great song and no one knows it but it's phenomenal yeah and so I would very much consider that a deep cut
0: i I think it's interesting because I think there's some bands where like like you know there's some bands I don't think that in you know the the kind of like height of their era the you know the three or four albums that Pink Floyd did that are really, really like kind of from metal to the wall. I don't think you could call a single song in those a deep cut just because of how kind of prolific they are. I mean, you could definitely call some pre Sid Barrett stuff, deep cuts or like Led Zeppelin four, Led Zeppelin four as an album. I don't think there's a deep cut on that. Maybe four sticks, four sticks. You might be able to call a deep cut, but everything else on that album is so permeated into the culture even if it wasn't necessarily, you know, a single or anything like like I don't yeah. think Misty Mountain Hop is a deep cut.
1: Part of that of course is that 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 movement of rock was so focused on albums, yes, right? And 100%. so 100%. If you want to talk about like Pink Floyd deep cuts, you're not talking like tracks off the wall you're talking something like the division bell yes which is just an album that most people haven't listened to yeah and honestly like i didn't like the division bell that much i yeah not sure i ever got all the way
0: through it so i don't know that i would call it a deep cut on the quality scale but like pink floyd early work has some deep cuts and i would actually say that a lot of bands a lot of bands there are kind of they have kind of a curve of their success, and I think a lot of the time, you'll find the deep cuts on either end of that curve, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think that that's another one of the implications that I think the term carries is sort of depth of catalog, right? Yeah. Like, you look at a band like Jethro Tull that has been putting out stuff for 50 years, and they've gone through a lot of iterations with different band members, but like... You know, there's a period where you look at, like, Aqualung, Songs from the Wood, whatever, that, like, these are the Jethro Tull that everyone thinks of. But no one thinks of, like, the Zealot gene. But that's still, the fact that it's there, the fact that I don't even, off the top of my head, know how many albums Jethro Tull has. But I know it's at least in the 20s, because I know, like, Crest of a Knave was their 16th album, I think. And that was in the 80s. So I'm sure they've done at least four since then. Yeah. But you have plenty of, they've, they've just so much content. Content was maybe not the word I wanted to use, but it's the word I used and we're just <laughs> going to roll with it. Um, sorry, Patrick Willems. There, there is again that implication that there are, this sort of goes back to that shallow cuts thing where there's, there's this idea that there is this broad depth that you can dive into. And yeah. like if if a band only has one or two albums, then yeah, maybe the things that were released as singles are the most well-known, but really. The cuts don't go that deep yeah. compared to something like Jethro Tull, like you know Pink Floyd, like Dylan. Black Sabbath as well. Bob Dylan, yeah. Ja- yeah. Uh, Jackson Brown, you know, all of these. And of course, a lot of that is time. Like that's people who've been operating for a long time tend to have more of those.
0: And I think that another one that you have for deep cuts that culturally... Like, I think that time is a lot of the kind of legacy rock artists. I think in similar, but not the exact same in a lot of hip hop and punk, you've got deep cuts of artists that don't necessarily have a ton of studio albums, haven't necessarily been working for a long time, but have a lot of pre-release stuff, like a lot of in hip hop, like early mixtapes in punk. It's all these kind of EPs that were floating around a lot of kind of like before like pre-label stuff um a lot of that stuff uh, especially in hip-hop that's where a lot of the kind of hip-hop deep cuts live yeah in these mixtapes that these people were making um like before anyone really knew who they were
1: yeah and even outside of that you have like live recordings can be yes like you know specific recordings of the grateful dead might be deep yeah. cuts just because that's such a big part of that grateful dead like bit like real quote-unquote real fan like deeply invested fan community is about those live recordings you know you can get into it by just listening. yeah
0: yeah yeah the nature of the grateful dead being such an improvisational band and a jam band too yeah. means that a lot of these live things are functionally different songs
1: yeah and so like in individual versions or you know you even like like early versions of a song you you get those sometimes like demo versions yeah and it can be a song that is itself a very well-known song but if there's like a demo version that could easily be yeah. a deep cut where you pull that out and you're like here i have this or
0: yeah there's a whatever, lot of you know a, a lot of overlap with bootlegging culture as well with the grateful Dan, yeah. with zeppelin with the tragically hip like a lot of bootlegging culture taps into the the deep cut aesthetic yeah yeah I think that that's sufficiently obtuse definition.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think we've ha- I think yeah. Hopefully, anyone listening knows what a deep cut is. Yeah,
0: now. I think think to sum up, like generally, songs that are considered more obscure but of high quality.
1: Yeah, by by artists who are probably known.
0: Yes. Yeah. Although you know, I,
1: I think you can also like view, almost view like artists as deep cuts within a genre. Yeah. If that makes sense, like you think of like, I, I'm trying to think of a good example and like I can't Aesop off the top of my head, but I mean, he's, I think oh, yeah, he's like a Aesop Rock yeah.
0: better known now. But yeah. yeah, Rory Gallagher is one in like yeah. the 70s blues rock, your favorite guitarist, yeah. favorite guitarist for a long time. MF Doom was that though.
1: Death Grips kind of feels like an example yes. of that as well. Like yeah. where just like, I, I think a lot of people at this point have heard the name Death Grips, but like, so the, the existence of like being into Death Grips at any level, is kind of like you have to be hip in a certain yeah. sort of community to be into Death Grips in the first place.
0: Yeah. Now now we get to the part where Corey and I both say that deep cuts are overrated and... Uh... Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> and they're a kind of folk music.
0: Yes. One of the first things that came to my mind when you said you wanted to talk about deep cuts is the fact that I do think that there is often too much focus and like you said cultural cachet placed on deep cuts not that there's not good deep cuts but that often i think that with a lot of bands the stuff that is most well known is most well known because it is the best stuff i mean obviously quality is subjective and all of that i find a lot of subjective quality in a lot of these things that are that are big hits, and a lot of the time, these things are hits for a reason, and often they're yeah. they're chosen as the singles by the band, or at least the band have some say in it, because they also believe these are their strongest songs. Yeah, so I think, if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is that you're basic? Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay, see, I'm torn on this, because I agree, but I, you know, I, I sort of, I, I feel like there is... There's sort of two sides to this coin, and it's sort of exemplified in my head by, like, two specific songs, neither of which are themselves deep cuts. But, like, there are two songs that are by artists that I really love. Uh, one of them is Dracula, which, like, I've mentioned before, I yep. think, on this podcast. Once or twice. I maintain Dracula is the fifth best song on Rob Zombie's third best album. <laughs> like, it's just not that good. Yeah. It does it frustrates me to see him sort of reduced to the do the Dracula guy when there's just so much more out there. But on the other hand, I look at something like Aqualung and I think Aqualung ha- occupies that sort of space for a lot of Jethro Tull fans. Yeah, Aqualung is the Jethro Tull song people know. Like that and maybe Locomotive Breath. Yeah. But like but primarily I think these days it's Aqualung.
0: I'd also and, say thick as a brick people, know decently well. Uh, but maybe that's just because I, I spend like, too much time in prog rock yeah, communities.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that thick as a brick is is not a deep cut, but it is one of those things that you sort of have to be in the right circles to yeah. really know yeah. about. Whereas Aqualung was in Rock Band.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, they Aqualung, didn't put thick as a brick in
1: Rock Band for some reason. Yeah,
0: but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I but can't like, imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah aqualung sees play on like classic rock radio like it, yeah yeah
1: yeah but i, I think that i mean, specifically in a lot of ways thick as a brick was made to not be able to do that yes that yeah. was one of his explicit goals yeah i wouldn't argue that aqualung is jethro toll's best song right yeah but it's a really good song yes and so like hearing jethro toll re- reduced to the aqualung band is not doesn't bother me in the way that like I do does with Dracula because like, I genuinely think it's not, like I said, it's not their best song, but it's up there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's, I think it's kind of like uh, actually to do one that I recently did a video on September by earth, wind and fire, especially nowadays is kind of like that where September is a fantastic song, really, really incredible song, but September kind of only scratches the surface of this band that are like one of the most important bands of their time and are like deeply influential, have a, a real depth to their catalog and like really musical geniuses in every sense of the term, right? Like I, yeah. I think... Oh, and oh yeah, unambiguously, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not like September is the only one people know. Lots of people know Shining Star, Boogie Wonderland. But when you say Earth, Wind & Fire, I think especially... Yeah given the cultural weight that it has nowadays, everyone immediately thinks of September, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at least, you know, going back as far as I can remember, that would have been the first Earth, Wind & Fire song I named, if you asked me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, m- long before it became the meme that it is today. Like, I think that that's has, has just always been the song that permeated the culture, uh, the, the broader culture, mainstream yeah. culture, most effectively. And this is sort of, like I said, why I get a bit, like hand wavy on the discussion of deep cuts because like on the one hand it can definitely be really gatekeepy right like yes it's very easy to like to hear someone be like oh i love dragon it's like you haven't even heard the man who laughs and like if you haven't heard the man who laughs look it up it's great uh look up the full length version i think there's a shortened version that reduces the length of the drum break in the middle but you want to hear that whole drum break it's incredible it's joey Jordison from slipknot just letting loose i love it that's amazing Uh, that's not super relevant but i do love that song (laughs) <laughs> but the point is, like, I can also hear like, oh, you like Dracula? Well, maybe you would like the man who laughs. And I can use that as a way to bring people into that discussion as opposed to sort of shutting them out. And I think in a lot of cases, one of the things that I think about with this is that a lot of times the things we think of as deep cuts, the things that aren't meant to be singles aren't meant to do the same job that singles yes. do. right? Yes. Like, this is a thing I think we talked about way back in our, like, discussion of albums which i think was like over a year ago now that was a relatively early one where i mentioned that i had like gone back and listened to the fame by lady gaga and like pretty clearly even if i had been completely living under a rock through the entire like 2000s and never listened to the radio once just listening to that album through you could so easily tell which songs were the singles yeah and partly that was I think they were more polished. I think they were mostly better songs. But also, like the style of the songs that weren't like paparazzi or poker face or whatever, there were different sort of stylistic aspects to them. Like something like Paper Gangsters wasn't trying to be poker face and failing, it was trying to do a completely different thing that she and her label probably recognized wouldn't sell
0: on the radio, but that
1: she could put as something she wanted to make on an album.
0: Something I really like love about if you look at Dylan's electric trilogy, which definitely kind of entering that territory of so ubiquitous that there's not deep cuts. But each of those actually does have like one or two songs like it's like it takes a lot to uh, laugh. It takes a train to cry on Highway 61 or Outlaw Blues on bringing it all back home. Um, or you got a couple of them on Blonde on Blonde with like Absolutely Sweet Marie uh, or but a lot of these, they're kind of just these like rollicking light blue songs that are in a lot of ways. I feel like the glue that holds the album vision together where yeah. they're not like they're not Dylan doing his Dylan, you know, amphetamine fueled uh, like imagist poetry stuff they're just kind of fun little blues songs but they're a nice breather and they yeah. they function well in the album and then they also i do think function as a deep cut because it's not like they only function in the album they're also just good yeah. blue songs that are fun to listen to
1: yeah i think that's a lot of like and this is this is where i like am I was going to say sympathetic, but I think just like where I agree with the idea that deep cuts have this cultural value that they do is I think that they give a lot of space for the artist to express what they want to express and to tell, to speak to the sorts of people who listen to deep cuts rather than trying to grab everyone. And so like, you know, you look again, like if I look at Rob Zombie, if I point to something like, you know, Wordalack, Wordalack was never going to be a single, like- Word Lack was never going to have the cultural cachet that Dracula does, but it's still a great song if you're like, but it's a song that's great for if you're into the sort of thing that Rob Zombie does. Yeah. Whereas Dracula, I think, is much more accessible. And that's, I think, a big distinction here is that like when you look at the things that people make as singles, I think you're right that a lot of times they are the things that the, the artists think are the best. Yeah. But they're also the things that they think people will connect with most because those are the things that are, especially historically maybe less so today but historically those were the things that were supposed to get you to buy the full album yeah like that was how you how you got people into the door and how you got them to pick up something like songs from the wood is you hit them with like a cup of wonder yeah and then they get in and you play them something like hunting girl which like hunting i don't know hunting girl maybe could have been was it a single i don't actually know the singles from songs from the wood but it would have been a weird single but like that sort of thing is a really good song, but you sort of have to be a little bit more familiar with Jethro Tull's approach to music and sort of Ian Anderson's particular sense of humor to really appreciate what Hunting Girl is doing. And that doesn't mean like, you know, it doesn't mean it's a more, it's a better song or anything, but it means it's a song that is almost like, like fan service in yeah. a way. Like it, I I don't know that that's, that's entirely fair because I I don't want to imply that it's like it's not something he wanted to do, or that's superfluous, or whatever. But it, it's more of a nod to the sorts of people who already liked Jethro Tull and already liked the sorts of things he was doing.
0: Yeah. A way that you can kind of sniff out a lot of those types of songs is um, songs that artists play live a lot that aren't hits. Yeah. You know, I think that that's often because that's generally something that the artist, like, clearly there's some value they find in this song even if it wasn't a hit and they like singing it live and clearly if they keep playing it live generally their fans are receptive to it because most artists yeah at least if you're neil young apparently neil young really just plays deep cuts and the fans just (laughs) deal (laughs) um
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's part of the appeal of neil young right yeah (laughs) you don't go to a neil young concert To be appreciated by Neil Young. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, you don't go to listen to Keep On Rockin' in the Free World. You go to listen to a weird song from Reactor that you didn't know existed while Neil Young sneers at you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of value in these songs. Uh, I I think you're like I completely agree with you. I think what I like I I think maybe it's not a more or less value so much as it's just a different value you know like I think maybe that's part of where it comes from is the like I I get annoyed at people saying oh you know the 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 true fans listen to the deep cuts and stuff like that and it's like yeah no it's just it's just a different it's it's not necessarily better or worse it's just different
1: yeah it's like you know I eat hamburgers and I eat ice cream but I'm like I, they serve different roles in my diet. and so, They serve the you know, similarly... same
0: role in my diet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at, and just to use an example that we talked about earlier, like Aqualung and Thick as a Brick are not trying yeah. to do the same thing. Like, they just fundamentally are not. And if you listen to Thick as a Brick expecting it to do what Aqualung does, you're going to be very disappointed and extremely confused. Yeah, But, like, you know, Aqualung is a great way to get people into the door of Jethro Tull. And it shows you, like, what they can do at their best when they're not trying to do super weird, like, goofy stuff for fun.
0: Yeah. Goofy is maybe not the right
1: word, but you... If you've listened to Jethro Satirical, Tull, you know what I mean. Uh, like
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, there's in general. This is definitely a tan a tangent, but there's like I I think it's something that was kind of lost in a lot of a lot of the evolutions of prog rock is just how like whimsical and how like Jethro Tull and like yeah. Peter Gabriel era Genesis and stuff like that really did not take themselves too seriously. Oh yeah, you know they made music that was like as insane and complicated as music can get maybe um or as like yeah. really pushing well. the boundaries of rock but then genesis would like you know write lyrics about the invasive species of giant hogweed taking over cities yeah. you know or like, they'd write a song like erogenous zones like yes exactly yeah <laughs> like th- there is a very kind of tongue-in-cheek very like Monty Python Britishisms to them. This yeah. is a complete tangent to Deep Cut, but just something that I love about Genesis and Tull and that whole kind of scene. Maybe we can tie it into Deep Cuts because maybe that is something that, you know, yeah, maybe Counting Out Time is a bit of a Genesis Deep Cut where The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is a lot more kind of like you know serious and spectacular in a way that you know a lot of people imagine prog rock to be
1: yeah and i think a lot of a lot of deep cuts do have sort of more more not necessarily like in that exact direction but more freedom to do that sort of thing yes and to be because because again a lot of the distinction between like a single and something that was never intended to be a single is that like Singles have to be accessible. They have to work for radio play or they're not doing their job as singles. Yeah. Uh, they have to be able to bring people in, get people in the door. But then, you know, something like, you know, to pick a, uh, another Rob Zombie deep cut, uh, Werewolf Women of the SS is a great song. <laughs> but like, it's also a song about werewolf women of the SS. And that's. Yeah. It's very silly. And that's sort of his, again, his sense of humor coming through. And the sort of things that Rob Zombie is into are much more, he can put them on display much more in a song like that, where he doesn't really have to sell you on anything. Uh, or like probably the ultimate example uh, is uh, the Rob Zombie song from his, was this, I think this was um, Electric Warlock, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, but the song is called Everybody's been in a UFO. I think that was released as a single but it's just so late in the the catalog of Rob Zombie that i i would still count anything from his last three albums as a deep cut no matter how how much of a single it was intended to be because at that he had just like given up on trying to attract new audiences and was just doing his thing and i respect it
0: i do think it's it's interesting as i'm as i'm thinking of these and noticing how many great deep cuts are actually songs that show a bit more of the like, sense of humor of the artist, you know? Because Dylan yeah. has a lot of very irreverent deep cuts. I mean, like, System of a Down. A lot of System of a Down's, you know, hits are also very funny, but a lot of their deep cuts are just... Yeah. Just really surreal and hilarious in a way that does does really represent a lot of yeah, like Pogo stick what the band is about yeah yeah like violent pornography yeah. you know like <laughs> banana terracotta terracotta pie
1: <laughs> yep uh, but yeah no there's there's that and I think you also see like artists do maybe something a little more sensitive and vulnerable as a deep cut as well where it's more of mm. like a ballad
0: i'm trying to think of an example and i'm struggling to think of an example off the top of my head but like i mean i was gonna say another one that another kind of style you get in a lot of deep cuts and a lot of in my mind a lot of zeppelin's best deep cuts yeah. are these is uh artists playing around with genre form you know yeah. and like like a lot of zeppelin's big hits are either kind of the zeppelin epic things or like blues rockers yeah. But a song like you know, like "Down by the Seaside," is this weird experimentation in form. That's like kind of like you're on like a Caribbean Isle with this sort of you know like weird relaxed thing, and then goes into this strange dark place with one of my favorite Jimmy Page solos ever on it. "Down by the Seaside" is one of my favorite like just yeah. great deep cuts because it is it is such a song where 100 percent you're like. There's no way this would get a ton of play on classic rock radio. There's no way this is really all that representative of who Led Zeppelin are. Yeah. It's just kind of a weird song that's fun and sees them trying something different.
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of it is that you a, a lot of the appeal of deep cuts is that they can be stuff that isn't really representative of who the artist is in any sort of big, high, abstract way, but just means that the it puts a lot more diversity in their catalog because there are these experimentations yeah. that they can do, and you know when they're when they're doing the big songs or doing the singles or whatever, you know expectations about that all sort of sounding like the band, right? Like you look at you know Metallica yeah. singles over the years, and there's you know that they, they changed obviously the band has evolved and developed, but they all have a fairly similar like they're, they're, there's a sound. Whereas if you go into their discography, yeah. you can find things that are Whiskey in the Jar, for instance. Like they did a cover of Whiskey in the Jar that like... Yeah. It sounds good, but I, I, it's not something that I would think of as a Metallica song, but it's a song by Metallica yeah. and it works and it adds this extra dimension in their their catalog that, you know, you wouldn't be there if you were just playing like Master of Puppets and Enter Sandman.
0: Yeah. One, one of my favorite examples of this is on uh, Master of Reality, which is, like, probably Black Sabbath's, like, heaviest, sludgiest album. They also have Solitude, which is this, like, beautiful, like, medieval folk song, right? And, uh, again, like, not... If you're going to show someone Black Sabbath and be like, this is what Black Sabbath is about, you're not going to play Solitude. But it's a phenomenal song, and it's it really... I mean, I think it's interesting because it does kind of functions very well. Like we said on the album as this kind of almost like a breather in the middle of this like deeply heavy album. And it yeah. also does kind of, it It goes along with everything that Black Sabbath is about, you know, aesthetically, like with the kind of very medieval sound, it goes with them, you know, they're pulling from folk songs and blues songs, which is exactly yeah. what their sound is. Like it is very Black Sabbath, but it's not a song that gives you a good sense of what Black Sabbath are about as a band on a first glance.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's like, you see these and- see these deep cuts and they definitely at least a lot of them anyway still sound like the band right like we mentioned like pogo stick yeah. by system of a down and you listen to that and like yeah that's system of a down but it also like it shows elements of them that you wouldn't hear in something like aerials or yeah chop suey or something like that and so that it's sort of again brings diversity to the catalog and makes it more rewarding to do these sorts of deep dives and i think that that is a lot of where that cultural cachet comes from like besides just the overt gatekeeping part which you know is yeah. just intrinsically bad i think we've talked about that in enough contexts over the course of the show we can you know get to that here yeah. if we want but like i think ghost notes is pretty on the record as being opposed to gatekeeping but i think there's also this extent to which like It does, getting into these deep cuts, getting into the rest of the artist catalog will often change your opinion and change your experience of the artist. And that can be something that is really powerful and important, especially like we talked about last time, you can attach a lot of your identity to these artists. And so having this deeper understanding of them, having this, what feels like a deeper connection and, you know, that connection is complicated here. We don't have to get into the parasocial thing. We should eventually. We should do an episode on that. But like, we don't have to here. But I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah, I, I think that having having these deeper connections makes it feel more meaningful because a lot of these deep cuts are what give you that more holistic picture of the, of the artist or of the band that means this much to you. And so it can often feel, again, like what I talked about with Dracula, it feels like when people are just like, oh yeah, I love Rob Zombie, Dracula, it's just like, I feel like you're seeing such a one-dimensional picture of this artist that I see in so many colors. I switched metaphors there halfway through from dimensions to <laughs> colors, don't worry about it. But like it feels like you are not you have you have reduced this thing that means so much to me to something much simpler and less interesting. And so what like it's not necessarily a reaction I'm proud of, but there is a part of me that like w- when I see people just like super celebrating Dracula and not talking about so much of the other great work that Rob Zombie has done, like it's it's kind of if I don't want to say cringy because I like again I don't want to be judgmental here because I but it is it is sort of an instinct of like oh no you're you're missing the point you've misunderstood which yeah. again is is not a reaction I'm proud of and not one that I super want to defend but it is a real reaction that I think a lot of people have in this in those situations.
0: But I think what you what you really want to be doing with that reaction, like I I think I, I think that it's the I think that reaction can be kind of taken and twisted into a positive light if yeah. you approach it from the angle of of like you were saying earlier, like, oh, man, if you really like Dragula, like wait till I show you yeah. this other stuff he's got. Right. Like, I think that's where a lot of the a lot of the value comes from is being able to, like, I think you can kind of, you can twist that and make it more, you can make it less, less kind of gatekeepy and harmful yeah. if you use that as an opening point for people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I will say on that point specifically, if you like Dracula at all, listen to the albums, The Sinister Urge and Hellbilly Deluxe too. They are both just absolute bangers start to finish. Uh, you know, thank me later. That's all I'm going to say on that point. You can continue what you were going to say.
0: I I was going to say one artist that I think like this is kind of the kind of the walking embodiment of people being like, oh, you're not a real fan. You got to like the deep cuts is Nirvana, like because of how big smells like teen spirit is how yep. big nevermind in general is they're one that often get kind of caught up in these in these sort of like that sort of dichotomy but i think kurt cobain as a songwriter is someone who was very open about the fact that a lot of the songs he wrote were pop music. Yeah. Right? Like he wasn't he wasn't writing Smells Like Teen Spirit, not thinking it was a pop song. He was pretty, pretty aware and pretty tongue-in-cheek about a lot of this stuff. Even to the point that in Utero he has a song, which is a great deep cut, called Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, which is just the sludgiest, most like weird, aggressive grunge thing called radio-friendly unit shifter. So clearly there's there's tongue fa- placed firmly in cheek with some of this stuff. But I think that, yeah. I think that, it smells like Teen Spirit. It's also a very good song. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. it's a perfectly. I don't know exactly what my point is. I just think it's yeah. important to bring up Nirvana in this circumstance because I feel like I feel like Nirvana, and I feel like in general with Nirvana and kind of the '90s, I think a lot is where you see the birth of a lot of this kind of divide because you you have the the dynamic of these really underground bands that are super countercultural becoming very big and becoming kind of co-opted by the corporate machine. And so I think a lot of the backlash uh of oh no, the true artists love the deep yeah. the- or true fans love the deep cuts comes from that backlash against the corporatization of scenes like in the 90s you had grunge and hip hop, which were two scenes that were very, very countercultural. Um, you know, very much against the corporatization of music that became corporatized.
1: I think you hit on a really important point there. In the middle of that, uh, I think you hit on multiple important points, but you hit on one that I want to drag out and talk more about. Yeah, which is that a lot of the complaint about what I've decided I'm going to call shallow cuts. Now, I guess, uh, but songs like "Smells yep. Like Teen Spirit," "Dracula." If I'm, you know, telling on myself a bit, but. Uh, like, I think Bohemian Rhapsody is another really good example of this, is that people talk about it being overplayed. Yep. Like, they'll be like, this is a good yes. song, but I've heard it so much that I don't like it anymore now. And that's, a, a yeah. lot of that is just, it becomes, and, and I think a, that is a valid reaction, right? Like, it becomes repetitive if like, you know, especially as yeah. someone who knows a lot more about Nirvana's catalog, which, you know, there's not a huge amount there because of Cobain's unfortunate death, but like, yeah, you know, there, there's still plenty of stuff there that is not the mainstream music that you might think of, especially if you go back to like
0: Bleach. And I mean, I think what's also interesting is, and I think Queen's a lot like this too, where just like you said, Bohemian Rhapsody, but just the kind of the levels of success of one thing where it's like, Smells Like Teen Spirit is a very good song. But in my opinion, It's not even the best song that sounds like smells like teen spirit that Nirvana have done. No, you know, like I, one of my favorite Nirvana deep cuts ever is Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. And I think that's playing in a lot of the same aesthetic space, as smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Just like I might prefer Innuendo to Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, which is doing a very similar thing, but it's like, yeah, like smells like Teen Spirit and Bohemian Rhapsody. You're completely right about the overexposure of them wanting to drive people toward deeper yeah. cuts.
1: Yeah, where it just it just becomes background noise at some level. And I like, I definitely for while, especially with Bohemian Rhapsody, like got to the point where I was just like, yeah. I was sick of it like it's a phenomenal song. Yes. I don't think anyone is entitled to their own opinions. I suspect most people would not fight me on that point. Yeah. My my grandmother likes Bohemian Rhapsody and that is she does not like rock music, but when she found out I was doing a video about it, she went and checked it out just to see it and came and was like, "Oh, this is actually really good." So that's the level of quality that Bohemian Rhapsody is playing at. But like it's also just it definitely got to the point, especially in high school, where like, you know, my friends would listen to a lot. And it became a thing like everyone would sing along and it was just it became so ubiquitous that it was easy to lose track of what was great about it. And I think that yes. that's a thing that like deep cuts are kind of protected from because like I will never listen to like Rob Zombie's Cease to Exist unless I have chosen to. If I'm just not in yeah. the mood for that sort of thing, I can just not do that. I will never be flicking through the radio and it comes on. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're not going to hear it playing in the grocery yeah. store. I keep, I keep wanting It'd to be use a better world if you did. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're probably not going to hear Dracula in the grocery store either. To be fair, that's true. <laughs> but I keep wanting to use <laughs> Jackson Brown examples, but like I. I just grew up with so much Jackson Brown that I have no idea what the like songs people know of his are. I just know
0: so many of them, you know, that's actually something that I wanted to bring up the concept. I think a lot of people, a lot of deep cuts that people love come from like, like I, a lot of my favorite deep cuts are songs that I kind of discovered with no context. Yeah. Right. Like growing up, you know, getting into music as a teenager, Uh, When people really tend to form bonds with music, a lot of the time you don't know what is and isn't a deep cut, you know, and like a lot of the albums that are very formative to me, you know, like like a hot fuss by the killers or Billy Talent's debut album, American Idiot, like a lot, a lot of these things that were really foundational to me. uh, I came at them. You know, when they came out as a kid with no real idea what a deep cut was, which ones were the hits. And there's there's a kind of naivety that you can keep with that. And there's a lot of value in that in listening to listening to to these deep cuts and remembering kind of what it was like to be a kid. There's something really, really brilliant that, you know, is lost when you become more aware of the world and more aware of what's happening musically, yeah. that innocence of just being able to take everything exclusively at face value. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be clear, not, not that this is a, would be a surprising stance from either of us, but just to be clear, there's also a lot to be gained from that shift in perspective. There's a lot of good that comes with that too. Like, I don't think, yeah. Yeah. Just to be clear, n- neither nowhere. I was saying that that's necessarily a better thing. It's just a very different thing. And there are trade-offs, but like, I definitely, yeah. I have that, like, the one that comes to mind for me in addition to that is, like, uh, the album Low Spark of High Heeled Boys by Traffic. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have no idea how well-known any of the songs on that album are. I was recently, like, exchanging some music with a friend of mine, and I sent them, one of the songs I sent was Hidden Treasure. I literally could not have predicted whether or not they would have ever heard that song. I just have no gauge for whether or not anyone besides me and, like, my dad knows Hidden Treasure from Low Spark of High Heeled Boys because I just do not know how I have There's, no perspective from how people know how people feel about that album. It's a great album. You should listen to it if you haven't. But like I just It's, yeah, it's an it's, amazing album. Especially yeah. the title the title track is uh, so good. Yeah. But
0: Yeah, we've a couple episodes ago we were gushing over this. The title track is it's like one of the great like psychedelic progressive songs it's so ever good. written as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And nobody mentioned it. If you it. haven't
1: listened to it, please listen to it. Like I, I I don't know that I can in like like I can with a straight face call it a deep cut because it is the name of the album. But you know, it is yeah. it's so good. You should really listen to it. Yeah. listen to the whole album, but especially listen to that song.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's kind of funny the uh I think not knowing how other people felt about music you know i think there's an aspect of that that is a childhood thing but i also just think now people are far more dialed into yeah you know thanks to tech like the culture of what's going on in music and obviously you know like people like super fans and you know um, muse- musos and people like yeah. always have had media avenues to dial into but it's never been so easy to kind of have an opinion about what's going on in the musical world. It's easier than ever and I think that there is uh an aspect now where it's it, it's easy to it's easy to find out. I mean even just by like opening up a Wikipedia page, yeah. you can tell just by looking at a Wikipedia page how popular an album is yeah, you... given how much is written on it, how many of the tracks have their own individual pages. You know, like if it's on Wikipedia or not. Yeah.
1: You can tell a lot about which the blue deep cuts are by which ones are blue.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: But yeah, no, there's also, I think, like for at least the specific way that I approach music these days, there are, I think, really interesting new avenues for avoiding that information as well. One of the things that I will often do... Is I'll just listen to a full album on YouTube. That's my main way of listening to music these days. And I'll either like look up an artist, uh, and YouTube will have an artist page, and they'll have playlists for all the albums, and I can just pick one of those that looks interesting, and I don't have to look at like view counts or anything like that, or. Yeah. Like I, there are just various channels that I know will just upload full album rips, which you know, debatable legality, but whatever. I, that's not my problem. But I yeah. can just scroll through until I see something that has an interesting name, or oh, that's by a band I know, but I haven't heard that album. And I can just click play and completely avoid getting information that you you might get if you went to like a record store and you saw which albums were like positioned and, up front or whatever that were would be much harder to avoid
0: information. And to that point, like algorithmic recommendations also do that. Like there, there are definitely songs that I would say are from like like kind of more obscure or deep cuts. A lot of my, I I have a lot of favorite songs that have been recommended to me by streaming algorithms like Didn't Die by Dorono, which I would say is a soul deep cut, is an um, amazing one of my favorite songs ever. um, That is completely like, like, like I would not know about that song without algorithmic recommendations. And I have no real context for how how that song was received when it was released, how that song fits into a cultural picture. I just know it vibes and I love it.
1: There's so much more access to context, but also so much more decontextualization that, you know, depending on how you're approaching things... Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, perhaps easier than ever to avoid learning that something was a single or was a deep cut, but also probably easier than ever to learn that it is, too. That's a really good point. It's just easier to control information these days. Which, you know, a lot of ways in which that's bad, but, you know, some in which it's good.
0: Again, just good, bad, different. It's all, it's it's very different. One of my kind of, like, go-to artists when it comes to deep cuts. And again, like you with the Dragula or like with the Nirvana thing, yeah. is hosier. And I think he occupies...
1: Yeah, he has this really cool deep cut called Take Me to Church. I don't know if you've heard it. It's pretty obscure. But- <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Well, yeah, he has this, this one this one kind of yeah. hit oh, yeah. that is, it's a great song, but it is, it is a hit that is probably a bigger hit than any other any artist who does, you know, in Hosier's milieu, has any business having like it's just kind of one of those. You know, it's it's like it's like when when like the summers that Todd in the Shadows calls it the uh, there was the few years where there was the indie summer hit sweepstakes where like somebody that I used to know. Again, great song became like way bigger than it probably had any business of. I think a lot of these artists that are like. I think Hosier is interesting because I think there are people that would call him a one hit wonder. And I don't I don't agree, but I also don't disagree. Like, I don't think that's a particularly, you know, like wrong assessment because he is basically known for one song. But he has a lot of deep cuts that are really, really incredible. And I think a lot of the time artists like Hosier, Hosier, you get these artists um, even like like yeah. Tears for Fears, I think everybody wants to rule the world. Kind of overshadows well, like shout, everything, and they're a really yeah, I, I, broadly. I would yeah agree. yeah. I I don't think they're a one hit wonder, but but I think they're a band that has a lot of yeah. deep cuts because they have you know one hit that really overshadows everything.
1: Yeah, that I think speaks to a point that I wanted to bring up that I had forgotten that I wanted to bring up, which is that like I it's probably a little reductionist to talk about deep cuts as a binary thing right like for a lot of artists especially artists with really deep mm. catalogs you get these tiers like where again aqualung is not a deep cut yeah but some stuff like you look at something like wind up same album you could probably start calling that a deep cut but you get to something like you know Something off, uh, like, The Mass yeah. Police Never Sleeps off Heavy Horses. That's starting to get into real deep cut territory. But then you zoom to, like, something like The Zealot Gene. And The Zealot Gene is, like, a song that no one, uh, uh, off an album, basically, no one knows. A song that no one knows because it's well after. And so you you get all of these different levels, especially with an artist like Tall, you with an artist the, like the, yeah, Pink Floyd where...
0: The yeah. Iceberg, me. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? Where just, there aren't, like, deep cuts and not deep cuts. There's, like, non-deep cuts slightly deep cuts more deep cuts deeper cuts even deeper deepest and you you can there's so many levels to that and whichever level you're at is the one that feels like the deep cuts for that band and then you find the next level and it's like oh dang what's this stuff and so there's yeah
0: yeah. it's one of the things that i think it's really i think it's really cool that there are a lot of people like i have i know a lot of people that are really kind of obsessed with finding deep cuts and the way that they engage with music is listening to discography fees yeah. and like, you know, like they'll pick an artist and listen to every single release yeah. that artist has. And I think that that's something that it's really cool. I couldn't do that. A great example if that well, that wants to like sort of see that in action is the YouTube channel. It's Boundo, which yeah, Boundo
1: great. And they're, they're kind of blowing up. Highly now. recommend, but do, does those like, like videos where they'll take like an artist and be like, let's look at every Everything this artist has ever done, starting with the stuff that you should enter with and the stuff that's most well-known and then going to like deeper and deeper and deeper levels and you get a lot of... yeah sense of like the depth of these artists cataloged. And again, like all of these different layers where it's just like, so this stuff was, you know, more or less known, but eventually you get to the stuff that's like, oh, and here's like, you know, bootlegs from one show they did in 1997. And like, if you were a real yeah. fan, like if you're really deep into their catalog, maybe you want to listen to this, but like, you know, but yeah, highly recommend if anyone's yeah. looking for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's Boundo's great. And they're, they're getting some algorithmic love now, which nice. you love to yeah. see. Uh, also, also um uh, Mike the Snare yes, also really yes. great for this. Mike the Snare does discography deep dives. Yeah. Yeah. So th- those are actually yeah, if you're looking if you're looking to find out about deep cuts, it's it's kind of funny cuz like I definitely I definitely have deep cuts that I love. Like there's a, there's certain artists especially that I go deep on, but in general like I really feel compared to a lot of people online, like I listen to music a, on a surface level a yeah. lot of the time and a lot of the time you know for various reasons the my channel does stuff on surface level there's kind of multiple reasons of that yeah, where it, we are subject to the same dynamics job, that albums yeah. are you know where yeah we yeah. we need to have some that are hits and i have videos that i consider my deep cuts you know yep. like you know doing a video on clipping is a deep cut yeah great video but, but yeah i also think for me a lot of the time I've talked about this a lot before like my favorite way to engage with music is from a socio-historical perspective yeah. and to look at how things impact the culture and the nature of deep cuts is that they don't tend to impact the culture as much yeah. you know sometimes yeah. there are and sometimes there are deep cut songs that become underground hits or like a great way that deep cuts impact the culture is in hip hop with sampling yeah. right like that's that's a very it's very easy to see how deep cuts get translated into kind of surface cuts there if yeah. you will. Like crate digging was the whole thing yeah. that, you know, birthed a lot of hip hop. But um yeah, but in general, a lot of the uh a lot of what I do is a lot more interested in engaging with the culture and that tends to happen with hits. You know, like and that yeah. tends to be what is very interesting to me. Yeah,
1: no, I, I definitely like I don't know. Maybe this is a thing that we might want to do a whole episode on at some point. I definitely do similarly feel like a lot of my sort of musical taste on these sorts of things are. I don't want to say shallow, but like that I do listen to the sorts of things that are generally popular, and so like I'm mostly. When I'm picking songs to analyze, like I am thinking about, you know, what's gonna get views, whatever. And there's plenty of songs that I will never put on a poll for that reason, but a lot of that is also just these are the songs that I like, right? Like Yeah. And so those sorts of things are and so like when when I look at something like It's Bound or something like Mike the Snare, or where they just do this really thorough dive through an entire discography, like like you said, that that is not how I engage with music. It's not a thing that I can super relate to, but I find it Really interesting to sort of to watch yeah. and to get that sort of exposure and to understand more about that approach to music because I think it's it's a really it, it's a I mean it's a really valid approach to music first of all I, I think I don't want to oh, come yeah, across as yeah. saying like like my approach is better or I also don't want to say my approach is worse it's just different but like yeah yeah I think that it it's also the advantages that it has in terms of like deeper understanding of an artist are, I I think, like a deeper exposure to all of the nuances of an artist anyway, are really important in uh, like fully understanding an artist, even if you don't want to necessarily do all of that work yourself. Yeah. And so getting to see what that looks like through the eyes of someone who likes doing that sort of thing is really great. Is yeah, I guess the I point agree. that I'm making. And so like, I, broadly speaking, like one of, one of my favorite, like, The reason one of the reasons I was thinking about it's Boundo specifically is just that like the the videos are titled, like, let's get you into whatever, like, let's get you into death grips. And that's like we were talking about earlier, like probably the best way to approach deep cuts if you want to do that is just like here. Let me show you all of the cool stuff that you haven't seen yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's I, I mean, I think it's it's it always reminds me of like, I feel like like those that kind of content is it's kind of like when I was a kid, like my older siblings, you know, would just show me music. Like I've got some, I've got siblings that were, that are like in Gen X and they would like show me like good punk albums and stuff like that. And it's really great to have, people uh whether they're you know friends or family or online creators who can kind of curate this kind of stuff for you because yeah i i used to i used to do discographies a little bit when i was in high school and had more time and focus but yeah no like it's it's cool to see someone else walking me through stuff that i would probably never do on my own
1: yeah this has been part of like part of the reason i've been thinking about this is i have sort of been doing sort of a um, Not super organized, but like a journey through Jethro Tull's entire discography. And the thing about Jethro Tull's entire discography is that not all of it is good. Yes. Like, you know, and and I knew that going in. And I knew that like if I listened to War Child, I wasn't like it wasn't going to have a huge impact on me. But like, you know, getting getting that sense of like, what are the hidden gems versus what is the stuff that's just there is like I can tell you, for instance, like the zealot gene, I think is you should listen to it. It's pretty good, especially for like a Jethro Tull album in like, I think 2018, although it doesn't have Martin Barr. Yeah. So like, is it really a Jethro Tull album if it doesn't have Martin Barr? I don't know, but like, it's genuinely pretty good. Like shockingly. So for an album that late in in (laughs) an artist's career, but honestly, similar with a lot of stuff Jackson Brown's been doing recently, like standing in the breach is, you know, not his best album, but pretty solid and
0: downhill from everywhere is also generally pretty great. So anyway, Those are my thoughts. Dylan has a lot of late career stuff. I mean, Rough and Rowdy Ways is an amazing album, but Dylan also, again, I listen to some obscure Dylan tracks, but mostly I have uh, two good friends that I have a Dylan group chat with who are both people that really love digging into the obscure shitty Dylan albums and finding good tracks from them and good deep cuts which is always it's it's always really fun to you know hear them talk about this stuff because yeah like like i said like i'm genuinely a pretty surface level listener well i don't like the word surface level you know i listen to i listen to surface level things deeply but yeah like compared to a lot of this stuff you don't have obscure tastes Yes, exactly.
1: Sort of, I think, a less judgy way to say it. But I I think this, I'm realizing a thing here that I think is worth highlighting is that probably more so than most Ghost Notes episodes, you and I keep coming back to the same artists for our examples. And I think that that- This is true. Partly speaks to- how much work caring about deep cuts is, right? Like, yes. The reason I can speak so thoroughly about so much of the stuff Jackson Brown has made is because I've spent a lot of time listening to the stuff Jackson Brown has made. And even then, there's still albums that I haven't listened to nearly enough. Like, I. Honestly, I've only listened to, like, For Every Man, like, a couple times. Uh, I probably should listen to yeah. it more. It's good. It's just, like, very similar to Saturate Before Using stylistically, and Saturate Before Using is just one of my favorite albums of all time. And so if I'm in the mood for that, I'm listening to Saturate Before Using, probably. Yeah. But, like, I, I have a very thorough understanding of his catalog because I've spent a lot of time with his catalog. And it's very hard to quickly develop that with an artist, unless it's someone like like Nirvana, where there aren't that many. And, and you know, there's still, even there, like, bootlegs and stuff like that. But there's sort of either two or three albums, depending on how you feel about Bleach. Uh, but, like, yeah.
0: not not a huge amount to really get into there. They are one that do have a lot of the the bootlegging yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that that's but, a a yeah. deeper level
1: of deep cut. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, yeah, but I think that that sort of The fact that we do keep coming back to these same examples speaks to just, like, how attached you have to be to an artist to really want – like Yeah. Again, like, we we joke about it, but there's a reason that Noah talks about Bob Dylan a lot and I talk about Jackson Brown a lot, and it's because these artists are very meaningful to us. And so it makes sense that we can talk about their deep cuts much more effectively than we can someone like – I don't know what's a good example like Lincoln Park I, I I can speak a little bit about Lincoln Park's uh, deep cuts but like there's there's a lot of Lincoln Park that I've just not listened to and I like them as a band but there's just a lot of space yeah. where it just like was never really worth my time to invest in listening to every one of their albums although I will say the Hunting yeah. Party Th- there's a- underrated album. Look it up. It's great.
0: There's a lot of pop artists yeah. that I really, really love, but I really like have not gone. Like, I, cu- I couldn't really tell you any Beyonce deep cuts, even yeah. though I really love Beyonce, you know? Yeah. Or, I, like, th-
1: there's a lot of pop artists that. I'm sort of thinking, like, because I've listened to like Lemonade start to finish multiple times, but I'm not sure I could call anything off Lemonade a deep cut because it was very album oriented yeah, in a way that, but, but I think a lot of pop artists, like, don't necessarily and this isn't true of all of them but i think pop music as a culture is very single oriented and often i find that like if i hear a couple singles by an artist that are like a pop artist that i really like and i go listen to the album they're from i usually wind up pretty disappointed like yeah i usually just like i don't find that like the stuff that, because again, a lot of that is because they're so focused on the singles, there's just not as much polish on the other stuff. And so, and that's that's not always the case, to be clear. Like, you know, 1989, for example, great start to finish. Uh, But like- it, Yeah. I think Taylor
0: Swift, a lot of people would say that about. Yeah. Uh, Dua Lipa right now. Yeah. Dua Lipa has got some great album cuts. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, like- I think it's changing with yeah. pop. Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: pop is constantly changing anyway. Like this is- Yes, this is just sort of the dynamic yeah. of pop, and you know if you go back to like you know the Beatles or whatever, I think the Beatles do have a lot of like deep cuts because you know they they were still trying to doing you know not necessarily album oriented in that sort of way, like we've talked about this before, like early Beatles albums, especially were just a collection of singles and, yeah, but like especially in their later periods, I think a lot of stuff is is really meant to be. For people who are a little more invested already, yeah, uh, as opposed to for trying to get you in the door. Wait,
0: you're telling me that Revolution Nine isn't well, to no. get people in the door? No, I mean that was the lead single, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> <laughs> I think we're starting to go round in circles at this no, point. Never give me a Jackson Brown deep cut to uh, to send people on their way.
1: Oh God, is Information Wars a deep cut? this is the problem is i, I like I, I don't even know
0: yeah don't, uh, don't know what counts as a deep cut yeah
1: information wars maybe i can't can never remember if it's called child in these hills or i am a child but that song off saturate before using i don't believe was a single or anything and i don't believe is one of the songs that people talk about but uh you know is extremely good uh yeah probably the second best song on that album and that album has song for Adams, so it was never gonna get first <laughs> but uh But yeah, I would say like a song for Barcelona, again, is kind of easy just because it's grabbing from, oh, Birds of St. Marks. Birds of St. Marks is great. Again, this is sort of pulling from the stuff that's later in his career where I just don't think he got as much attention. Uh, And so he was just sort of doing his own thing. But yeah, those would be some songs that I could not tell you for sure whether or not they were deep cuts, but they are all very good.
0: Yeah, I, I feel similar where... So one that I'll suggest from Dylan... Is Blind Willie McTell? I genuinely don't know how what that counts as because it's a yeah. song that was like bootlegged that Dylan released as a, in his bootleg series, but that is now like deeply celebrated as one of his great things. I would I would also yeah. say Mississippi. Mississippi is a it is a blues masterclass. Uh, yeah. If you want to check out a Dylan deep cut, yeah. So in
1: summation. All music is bad. I don't know that that was the overall message of this episode.
0: (laughs) But I also wasn't
1: paying that much attention, so you might be right.
0: In summation, deep cuts are cool and interesting and not necessarily better or worse than surface cuts yeah it's all music and yeah. it's all great and check out mike the snare and it's boundo if you really want to yeah. dive into some deep cuts because yeah, great creators uh, they're both doing really great stuff yeah. yeah yeah both very nice people too i know yeah. both of them and they're both in- incredibly nice people yeah all right you know where to find us yeah bye see ya